Welcome to Suspending the Rules, Bloomberg Government's weekly look at what's happening in Congress. The Senate is planning to take up a continuing resolution that the House passed last week to keep the federal government open past September 30th, and the House this week will take up bills to add oversight to the use of immigration detention facilities. Welcome to Suspending the Rules, a podcast from Bloomberg Government. I'm Adam Taylor. And I'm Sarah Babbage. Later in the show, we'll have our colleague, technology policy reporter Rebecca Kern's interview with House Energy and Commerce Committee Ranking Member Greg Walden. First, though, BGov legislative analyst Michael Smallberg joins us to break down those immigration bills. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. So these bills would focus on detention facilities, but they've changed a bit since they were originally introduced. That's right. As we're recording this on Monday morning, Bloomberg government has actually obtained a copy of a manager's amendment that could be changing one of these bills quite a bit. So let's talk about the the proposals that are slated to go to the House floor this week. Essentially, uh, it would one of these bills would create um, an ombudsman within the Homeland Security Department that would be independent of the department but report to the secretary. And this ombudsman would have to review complaints against um, ICE and CBP personnel. It would also have to set up um, a border oversight panel and come up with plans for uh, an electronic tracking system to keep track of children who have been separated from their families and also to require CBP and ICE agents and officers to wear body cameras. So how has that how has that changed from the measure as it was introduced? Because I understand this is uh, fairly significant differences. Yeah, this bill has actually undergone quite a few changes since it was introduced and then marked up in committee. Uh, and then it was originally slated for a vote actually before um, the August recess, but leaders scrapped that plan. So what, let's talk about what's not in this latest version of the bill anymore. It would no longer bar separations of families at the border. It wouldn't get rid of some of the Trump administration's asylum policies. Um, It also leaves out provisions that would have established um, a new commission similar to the 9-11 Commission to investigate the Trump administration's uh, border enforcement practices. Um, And it also would not have put as many requirements on CBP and ICE agents officers to, for example, to conduct more rigorous screenings um, of asylum seekers when they first come to the border. What are the prospects in the Senate? I know the as the bills originally were written, the assumption was they would go nowhere in the Republican-controlled Senate. But with this changed language, what do we have any idea what the prospects might be? Yeah, it's interesting. They have scaled this language back quite a bit. Um, you know, in some cases, one of these bills would really, at this point, only just create um, a new health record system at Customs and Border Protection, keeping track um, of migrants who come to the border. That being said, you know, I, I, when you're talking about immigration bills, there's so much disagreement between Democrats and Republicans. I don't see the Senate really taking up these bills. And in fact, just looking at all the changes that we've seen as these bills go to the House floor, it suggests that there have been some disagreements even within the House Democratic Caucus. Thanks, Michael. BGov subscribers can find his work and Michaela Ross's coverage of these bills at BGov.com. We turn now to data privacy, a topic that's been percolating in the background on Capitol Hill for a while now, with members having conversations and forming working groups to try to write comprehensive federal legislation on the subject. One of those lawmakers is Representative Greg Walden, a Republican from Oregon who serves as the ranking member on the House Energy and Commerce Committee. He joined technology policy reporter Rebecca Kern at the 2019 Bloomberg Law Leadership Forum in Washington, D.C. on September 18th to discuss these ongoing efforts to advance national privacy legislation. Rebecca, what was your biggest takeaway from that conversation? 
Representative Walden said the negotiations on his committee's privacy bill are going well, and they're passing texts back and forth with the Democrats, although two issues remain. One is whether to preempt state privacy laws. The other is whether to allow individuals to sue if the company violates whatever privacy bill is eventually enacted. All right, let's go to the stage at the 2019 B-Law Leadership Forum, D.C. And um, I just wanted to start off, you know, how are conversations going and what are some of your top priorities you want to see in a national privacy bill out of your committee? Well, thank you and thanks for having me here and thanks for the interest all of you have in this uh, really important topic for consumers in our country. Um, first and foremost, uh, we need a national standard. Uh, you, your privacy shouldn't be regulated by your zip code. And I, I think that, that that makes a lot of sense. We should have a national standard. We need to have, have better transparency and accountability. Um, those who have our data need to live up to the standards they agree to live up to. And that ought to be more transparent and available to consumers. Um, and, and so we're, we're actually in pretty good discussions. It's been fairly recent, but good discussions uh, with our counterparts on the other side of the aisle about how we might be able to uh, come to terms on a privacy bill. Um, if we don't, then we risk having uh, every state do this. Um, I also want to make sure that these, these uh, laws, regulations, the federal standard are not too onerous on small companies. I'm an old small market broadcaster, and I worry a lot about the high cost of federal mandates on small entrepreneurs and the effect that has on innovation. Mm. You know, if you're big, you can hire whatever you need to comply. And even the big companies have told me that, dealing with what they're dealing with the GDPR, is we can comply. If you're Facebook, if you're Google, if you're whomever, Microsoft put 1,600 engineers in the works to comply with GDPR. If you're the new competitive startup to Microsoft and you got 10 guys in a dorm room, you probably aren't going to have what you need to comply. And, I mean, we know there's some sticking points already. Um, preemption and a private right of action have been discussed as things that um, possibly could hold up conversations. Could you talk about where you stand on those issues, the issue of preemption? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think we should look at what's worked and not worked in GDPR, in uh, California law, although it's a little hard with the California law because Javier hasn't written all the rules. We won't really know until June of next year, even though it takes effect at the end of this year, beginning of next year. Um, and so it, we don't know. But I don't know how you have a national standard if you don't have a preemption, right? Because otherwise states come in and just continue to do what they're doing. Um, and, and as you say, on your board here, 22 states already have some regulation in this space, but nothing like California. So we've got to look at where they got it right, where we think they got it, uh, I won't say wrong, but where we could improve upon it, let's say, recognizing the importance of, of that law and the size of that delegation um, to the process. And so I, I think there's a way to go forward. But I don't want to also have a sort of federal-mandated new patent troll trial bar that goes after every little business um, on, on, a, 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 on a federal um, privacy standard. Well, and you, you were talking about the next thing going into place is California's federal mm -hmm. state privacy law So in January, and then we'll see um, enforcement mid-year. So where, are you, where do you have concerns with that um, law? If we don't have a federal well, again, I mean, I, we're waiting to see how the regulations are going to be written on it. But um, there are concerns about uh, what it mandates in terms of you know right to be forgotten or whatever, and 
how you anonymize data today to make it more secure, you might actually have to keep it attached to the individual so you'd know what somebody has on you so it could be deleted, which may actually work in reverse in terms of, of data privacy and, and data security because uh, getting data to an anonymous standard actually is better than when it's always tagged to you. But if they have to tag it to you in order for, to comply with a law, it might set up a, a, a worse regime in terms of privacy. That's one of the things. And then I, I think we just have to see um, how we could get to a national standard that, that, that works for all sizes of companies. Right. Yeah, and you expressed concerns about effects on small businesses. Right. Would you, how would you envision a federal law um, addressing that? I, I mean, would you envision some carve-outs, or how would you protect small businesses? I mean, it's hard in, in the data regime to, to have carve-outs because the weakest link right. could lead you to a big problem. Yeah, but, but I think, first of all, you know, companies need to do what they say they're going to do to protect your data, right? Mm -hmm. they, they shouldn't be able to use your data in ways that are outside of the agreement. Now, we all read those agreements uh, when we update our apps, right? And, and you can edit it, it turns out. Who knew you could actually say, no, I don't like that part, and I still want to keep this app work. I mean, consumers don't have choice here. The, the other piece is if you go too far, um, services that are now, a, I'll call it free, but we all know it's an exchange, our data for that service, um, they'll have to monetize in another way. So I think part of what we're looking at is how do you make sure that these incredibly creative people that do start literally in garages and dorm rooms and create worldwide global companies of enormous magnitude and influence on society and commerce, how that can happen to the next generation of innovators um, and, and not so burden them that, that they go somewhere else. Right, and, and we see so much innovation starting in the U.S. So do you have concerns that any federal standard could inhibit innovation. In well, absolutely. And if you look at what's happening under GDPR, there's a website, somebody will know it in this room, that tracks the number of publications that are now not available in Europe. I think there are over 1,200 newspapers that now do not circulate. You cannot pull it up when you're in Europe. That may be a U.S. newspaper. Um, and, and so you can go too far where the compliance costs are too high or the threat of damages are too high that um, you back out. Now you've really begun to balkanize the internet. Mm, yeah. That's what we're trying to avoid. It's an art, it isn't a precise science. You can't tell you if we do X, then the smallest of companies will be able to comply. There will always be a compliance cost. But remember, on the books today, there are requirements for most companies to hold your data securely. Uh, the fight we got in with Equifax, you know, was, was um, Pretty astonishing, really, where we had the then immediate former CEO before the committee, and as near as I could distill it, he said we had one part of the company that knew what software we had, and a different part that knew what updates were coming in, and the two basically didn't talk. I can't fix that with a federal law. As I said at the time, no offense, but I can't fix stupid. You know, it just had all of our financial data, and they weren't pat they didn't know what, apparently didn't know what software they had. They, they were missing what they needed to patch because they didn't know they had the software where they knew they had the patch. Mm -hmm. I, can't, I can't fix that legislatively. Well, yes, but when it comes to data security, mm -hmm. we have seen even more high-profile breaches, Cambridge Analytica, Equifax, right. Capital One. I mean, what can your committee or federal regulators do to ensure consumers' data is secure? 
Well, I, there, there are a couple of things. You can, you can continue to drive down and hold these companies accountable. Um, and there, there are certainly damages they end up having to pay. You look at the, the latest FTC fine on, on Facebook, $5 billion. Some say, well, that's not much, but it is more than double what GDPR's top fine would be. And, and so there are tools of enforcement through the Federal Trades Commission that can be enhanced, perhaps. Um, I think it's also important to have clarity and transparency in what the rules of the road are with these companies when they say they have your data. What do they really... What's that agreement you and I have if you sign up for my app and I have your data? Right. Is that fully disclosed, and then do I follow that agreement? And if I don't, then there needs to be an enforcement mechanism. Personally, I don't think it should be the, the trial bar, because I think you end up then in another patent troll situation. But certainly, states, attorneys, you know, others can, can play an enforcement role here, the FTC right. properly positioned. And there's a lot of criticism of FTC's $5 billion fine. Some call it a slap on the wrist. So some... some I get back to my point. It's <laughs> more than double what the top fine is under GDPR. Right. So. But, but some, there are some lawmakers calling for uh, Congress to give FTC more um, civil, actual civil penalty authority, um, more resources. I mean, I understand there's maybe 40 privacy, people working in privacy, some people want that. The, the staff to grow. Is, there, is that something you would back giving? Well, I mean, there was, there was this proposal that was thrown out. If we gave you X amount of money, what would you do with it? Now, I would tell you in nearly 30 years of public service, I've never met an agency that couldn't find out what to do with more money if we gave it to them. And they would always tell me I could solve the problem if I just gave them more money. And I'm not sure that's... I, we don't need, certainly, to create a new agency. Okay. Um, some at the FTC testified before the committee that they did not want broad rulemaking authority. And frankly, in the past, they had that. It got them in trouble, and it got taken away and, and minimized. So there are models out there that work very specific sort of authorities to an agency. The other thing I've seen over the years, too, is while everybody's focused on some big player that you think needs to have a huge fine, over time, what you intend for the biggest player to be more than a slap on the wrist gets used against a mid-sized player that practically wipes them out. Because once you give that authority and that limit to an agency, you have given up control over that assessment. And I've seen it over time where, and I've voted for some of them on polluters and all, you think, well, yeah, go get them because look at the cost of this or whatever. And then the next thing you know, somebody in the bureaucracy goes, well, I can fine you up to five, ten billion dollars and you're not Facebook. You're some mid-level company. Mm, okay. And so what do you do? You roll over and say, hit me with what you got, right? I'll, I'll admit anything to survive. Mm -hmm. So you've got to be smart about it. Yeah. And, I mean, do you, are, we're seeing state AGs starting to act um, in lieu of, well, in, in addition to DOJ and FTC and these right. um, investigations on and a competitive nature of large tech. I mean, do you feel like... That's where we're going to see, like with the privacy laws, we're seeing states maybe stepping in on enforcement. Because issues. we have not set a national law. Right. Yeah. And, and, and you know, who knew the Internet like crosses state lines? I mean, what a revelation. <laughs> or international boundaries. Uh, we should lead in this area, right. and, we should, and we should be strong in this area. We're not talking about weak standards here, but we're talking about thoughtful standards. Mm -hmm. Again, where you have transparency, you have accountability, where you do have an enforcement mechanism and will negotiate what all that looks like. Um, and, and then there are clear, bright lines. Mm -hmm. And then businesses can, can follow them. Right. I, I worry about when we go to 50 different state models, 50 different standards, 50 different whatevers, 
And then you've got Europe doing its thing. And, and the thing is, we, we've seen in, in some of the testimony before our committee, there, there's evidence of a 40% reduction in, in innovation in new startup companies in Europe since GDPR came into existence. Now, it may not be all related to GDPR. I'm not saying that. But there are certainly indications that that's playing some role in that reduction because we've had enormous increase in, um, in investment here in innovation at the same time. And so I think, you know, capital will move, and we want it to move here. If it's going anywhere, we want innovation here because that's where it started. I mean, these enormous data companies did not launch in, you know, pick your country overseas. They launched here, whether it's Facebook or Google or Amazon. Or, and there's a reason because we are a little... You know, wild, wild west, I'll call it. Being a westerner, that's not a bad thing. Um, but it's something you kind of have to get the cowboys back in the bunkhouse at night, you know. And that's kind of what we're doing here is saying, okay, guys, you had a lot of fun, you partied a lot. Now let's get back in the bunkhouse because we got we to gotta go back to work tomorrow. And, and that's why I look at, at sort of a national privacy standard is, okay, we got to, federal government needs to step in, set the rules of the road, have understandable and effective enforcement tools but I, but I said, I don't want to open it up to, in, in effect, a federal-mandated trial bar bonanza where they just send the demand letters like trolls do, and you just pay because it's too expensive to fight. We don't need to create that. Well, so that I, is a bright line for us. So national standard right, yeah. and, and not the, the private right action. Because that's where we're seeing some Democrats wanting some protections for consumers in terms of possibly private right action. So we'll well, that's their biggest, some of their biggest donors, the trial lawyer bar. So. And, and we, we know who's, who controls the House is a member of, from California. So do you first I heard about that. <laughs> do you first see any action this year, at least from I your hope community? so. Yeah. And, and I'm actually encouraged by the discussions at the staff level in the last few weeks. Okay. I mean, there is some paper. There is some serious discussions. And, and I think the country would be better off with a national standard, and we need to legislate on that. Right. But I also have come to the realization, if I'm on the other side of the aisle and way over there, I may view that I've got a national standard. It's called California. Well, and I yeah. get my private right of action. I get my full total government involvement in this sector. And do I want to lessen that? And if I'm a Californian, do I want to vote to override what my state has done? And keep in mind, most of the California House seats have few, less people in them than the California State Assembly seats. And they couldn't modify their own law in the last session. So do you... So, I mean, that sets up a real political conundrum if you're a Californian. Right. Do you see the, the Republicans having some leverage in these conversations, given the California law going into... Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think Senator Wicker would like to do something in this space. Right. I think the Senate would like to work in this. I think the President would like to work with this. Right. And I think they don't want to diminish innovation. Yeah. Um, and I worry that this will happen here. Okay. Yeah. Well, and then, I mean, another area we, we've talked about, and there's been a bill um, proposed, at least in the Senate, is COPPA reauthorization, right. Children Online privacy protection, and, and that's really important and very bipartisan. Yep. Is, is that something you see your committee Yeah, and I think year? it's a model of how you can have regulation in this, I'll call it right. this space. Yeah. It's a little different, and have it work. COPPA right. is held up as an example of a law that actually has been very focused, targeted. Mm -hmm. um, everybody knows the meets and bounds, and, and it works. It may need some modernization, but it, it works. Right. And so I, I think that could go forward. Right. Do you, do you foresee some that, happening this yeah, year? Or? Yeah, probably. The, the one that I think gets really sticky yeah. is data breach. Yes. 
And I put poor Bob Latta through multiple roundtables trying to see if there was a target we could go through on data breach. And, and my takeaway after, I don't know, we did three or five or ten roundtables, the then majority leader, uh, Kevin McCarthy, held a big roundtable in his office, is that there isn't enough pain being felt by either side to want to compromise to where you could fix this federally. And companies, the big ones at least, are complying with 50-plus state and territorial or city whatever um, regulations. They're able to do that. Nobody likes it, but nobody wants to give enough to find a compromise. So, is that and so if you attach data breach to data privacy, I think you bring up 20 years of intra-industry warfare that will sink both. Okay. <laughs> Anybody disagree with that? <laughs> I mean, I've been in the room with the retailers, the bankers, they're all our friends. <laughs> they don't get along on this issue. So do you foresee a data breach notification issue happening with privacy? If you well, originally there was, there was talk that, that the committee would do both. Right. Data, data privacy and data breach. All in the same bill, and I thought, well, this, I'm going to buy a ticket and some popcorn and watch. <laughs> because I tried. I mean, we, we really did have a good faith effort to try and find common ground. It wasn't there. So I think it's better to go figure out data privacy and get an American data privacy bill that works, right. that, that doesn't shackle innovation, that doesn't overburden startups, um, that reins in the bigs that misbehave. Um, and, and I think there's a path to get there. I really do. And we have some really talented, smart staff that are working on it. Right. Okay. And Catherine Morris Rogers is our lead on this. Right. She and Jan Chikowski have spent quite a bit of time together. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just a question of whether they want to want to come to a bipartisan agreement on it. But we've made clear all along what our bright lines are, and they're just two. So. Right. And and you, going forward with your committee, we, we have maybe what thirty or less days left. This About year. thirty-five legislative days. So, are we going to see any other action on any other privacy or data related issues you foresee, or hearings, or I mean, anything you want to preview here? I, yeah, preview. Here. <laughs> yeah. Preview is we actually have paper and we're exchanging and talking. So yeah. that's the big news item if you haven't tweeted that out already. Um, I mean, that, and that's serious because uh, that had not happened. Yeah, no, that's the development. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, this is really the big one. Yeah. As you know, that subcommittee has some really other uh, very important work it's been working on, and um, in, including these horrible tragedies of kids being left in cars and dying. And I mean, so that's legislation Ms. Schakowsky is yeah. very much engaged in. Uh, as well as other things like crib safety and, and, and yeah, know, consumer product consumer, safety. Um, yeah. So they've spent a lot of time right. on those, and they're yeah. important issues, and they've got more on that list. Mm -hmm. And uh, if I'd been chairman, and who knew? I'm just chairman in exile awaiting my return. <laughs> um, but if I'd been chairman, we would have moved data privacy earlier in the year, okay. knowing that this California deadline's kicking in. Right. And companies are having to staff up and try to figure this out. And Because I, 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 we occasionally get fact-checked in this business. PricewaterhouseCoopers surveyed 200 companies with more than 500 employees and found on GDPR 68% plan to spend $1 to $10 million. Another 9% plan to spend $10 million with over, if they had over 19,000 U.S. firms of that size. Compliance costs could be $150 billion. So when you're looking at the experience of compliance with GDPR, we can see what it costs. And we don't necessarily need to mimic that. Right. I think we can do better. Okay. Um, and I think we can achieve the goals of California but have a system that, that works. And our, our teams are trying to 
negotiate that. It's a big ask, yeah, and we'll be watching. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was BGov reporter Rebecca Kern's interview with House Energy and Commerce Committee Ranking Member Greg Walden at the 2019 Bloomberg Law Leadership Forum in Washington, D.C. Thanks to Rebecca and to legislative analyst Michael Smallberg for contributing to this episode. That's it for us. Next week, we'll hear from Representatives Derek Kilmer and Tom Graves, the leaders of the House's Select Committee on the Modernization of Congress. We'll talk to you then. Thank you for listening to Suspending the Rules. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Find more on the subjects we discussed today and a whole lot more from Bloomberg Government at about.begov.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at BGov. The legislative analyst team is Sarah Babbage, Noreen Chowdhury, Danielle Parnas, Michael Smallberg, and me, Adam Taylor. Our editor is Adam Shank. Nico Anzalata is our sound engineer. Our theme music is Home Organ by Zach Nasita. More information on that can be found at premiumbeat.com. Cases and Controversies is all about the Supreme Court. One of the oh, come on. Words. You know, come on. Well, I agree Be with serious. you. We sit down with leading practitioners and scholars to break down these cases. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up so I didn't have to. But, uh... <laughs> oh, I interesting, didn't know that. Right? That is See? interesting. I guess my imagination is running wild. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in every week for our deep dive and sneak peek episodes wherever you get your podcasts. As always, check out the latest at news.bloomberglaw.com. Ha, 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 ha.